Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. The book of James, and, uh, and I'll read a few verses at the end of the message, all right? Uh, but stick, stick with me starting in chapter 1, all right? And keep your finger there, and then thumb with me as we walk through the book. But before we do that, uh, let's just open a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless this time in his word, all right? Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you one more time this morning. And God, we ask that you would now speak to us as we look into your word. God, would you bring to remembrance the things that we've been studying? Uh, Lord, the things that you've been working on our hearts about, how we need to implement these things, would you bring those back to our minds and how we might apply them to our lives? And uh, God, I pray that you would even give us today new insight and, excuse me, new application, Lord, to be able to uh, bring to the way that we live out our faith. And uh, I pray all this in your son's name, amen. Well, uh, in college, uh, I, I was thinking through this, the idea of what James was saying, and it, it reminded me of this uh, roommate that I had in college who went through this phase of saying these words consistently, and the words were this, grow up, bro, and he would say it all the time. Now, he got it from a viral YouTube video, uh, and if you haven't seen it, you need to go look it up later today. It's hilarious. Uh, it, just look up Wicked Witch of the East, bro. Okay, just look up that and you'll see this video uh, that this guy is screaming in the face of another person uh, about, I don't even know why they're uh, screaming about this, about the Wizard of Oz storyline and relationships between the witches and the, uh, and the people. And so he's screaming in the face of this guy saying, hold up, hold up, hold up. And he says, like, she was wearing a crown and came down in a bubble. Come on, Doug. I mean, it's hilarious. You got to watch it. But then he ends it like he's super mad that this guy isn't getting the point. And he go, it's a trivial point. And then he says this, grow up, bro, and walks out of the room. Okay, so my friend got it from that and just started saying it all the time. Uh, my, my brother would say this all the time. He would get mad at someone. He would just be like, grow up. And then I remember growing up as we naturally do, like the actual sense of it, right, growing up, hearing my parents say these words to me, like, Micah, grow up. And uh, I would always, the smart aleck that I was, say, I am. See, I'm two inches taller than I was last year, or something like that, uh, because we naturally grow. But, uh, but obviously what they were trying to say was, in this situation, most of the time it was this, in this situation, you're not taking this as seriously as you should be. You're not taking this very seriously. You need to mature in your thinking. You need to mature in the way you're acting here. Grow up. And essentially, as we've gone through the book of James, that's what James here is telling us. He's saying, grow up spiritually. Grow up spiritually. Spiritually, you should consistently be maturing in your faith. You shouldn't be in the same point now spiritually as you were the day that you got saved there should be progress taking place there should be growth taking place in our lives and uh, he uh, James himself did a lot of growing we talked a little bit about the fact that James began as a skeptic he's the brother of Jesus and I think it's in John 7 if I remember right Uh, There's a a portion of scripture where he, James, being one of the brothers and sisters of Jesus, is, is mocking 
Jesus. They, they don't fully believe on him yet. They're skeptical of their own brother being the actual Christ, being the Messiah. And we see James going from a skeptic and an unbeliever to becoming a believer after his uh, dead brother shows up alive again in, in front of him. It radically changed his life. And that begins in his life this process of sanctification, this process of growth. In that moment, he became a believer. I believe. My, my brother really is who he says he was. Uh, he is God. He is Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. And so then he began not only to believe it, and then began to proclaim it. We see that growth starting to take place in, in so much that he becomes a preacher and a witness of the resurrection. And then in, in so far that he then becomes the pastor of the very church of Jerusalem, a booming, huge church. He becomes the leader there. You see in Acts chapter 15 that he's the leader there of the church and of the Jerusalem council as they begin to speak about whether Gentiles have to follow the, uh, the Jewish ritualistic laws or not to be saved. And he's the leader of that whole conversation. We see him having a, a big uh, amount of growth has taken place in his life from the time of being a skeptic and an unbeliever to the time of now he's the pastor and preacher and leader of the church at Jerusalem. We also saw, uh, and uh, as we study through, that he's, he's also grown in the area where he's become a prayer warrior. Church tra tradition tells us that uh, James had that nickname. Anybody remember what that nickname was for James? Anybody? What? Camel knees, old camel knees. Why? Because he was constantly on his knees praying so much so that he had visible calluses like a camel uh, on his knees. And so they, uh, he's grown in the area of prayer. He, James himself is really a picture of what he's telling these people reading his letter to do. To not just be saved and believe on Jesus Christ, but to actually allow that salvation experience to grow and mature them in specific ways. So as we re review, I want us to remind ourselves of how G uh, James has taught us to mature as believers, how to grow up uh, in the faith. And first of all, he starts off by saying that mature Christians in chapter one, they are patient in trials. Mature Christians are patient in trials. And as we look through that passage, he begins by saying, uh, "Let uh, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, when you fall into these diverse temptations. Embrace trials with joy, is what James tells us. Not because you like the circumstance, but because you know there's going to be a good end product to the trial in your life. Uh, it, he, so embrace trials with joy, he says, and with patience. Patience helps you to endure trials. And then we talked a little bit about, it's almost a, a paradox, but you need patience to endure trials, but trials bring about patience, right? So trials in our lives are necessary for spiritual growth. And then once that spiritual growth takes place, the next trial that comes, we have just a little more uh, energy or a little more patience, endurance in our faith to get through that trial. And when that trial is over, we have more so that the next trial comes and we have more and it just consistently grows. And it's this cycle of you need patience to endure trial, but the trial is also what works out patience within us. So let it have its perfect work, James says. Be, uh, go, uh, approach those 
trials with joy. We don't like trials, but they're necessary for our spiritual growth. So the mature Christian will not, uh, not ask, how can I get out of this trial? We learned that a mature Christian will ask this, what can I get out of this trial? What can I learn and how can I grow as a result of this trial? Then James, he goes on to talk about the one thing we need in trials, wisdom. We define that word wisdom briefly as God's perspective. And when we ask God for it, as we're going through a trial, we need his perspective on what's taking place in our life. We ask for that wisdom and he gives it both graciously and generously. Not exa- he's not exhausted at our asking him of wisdom. He's willingly ready to give it to us as we ask for it. But as we go through trials, James also said temptations will often come. Temptations will come about in our lives, and uh, these temptations are not to be blamed upon God, though God allows trials in our life. God is not the author of temptation. He does not tempt any man. why Why do we know that? Because he did all of the work necessary to give us freedom from sin. If he did all the work necessary to give us freedom from sin, why would then he bring in things into our life that would cause us to be in bondage again to sin. So we don't blame those temptations that come uh, about in our lives upon God or upon other people, James says. That's what immature believers do. That's what immature Christians do. They blame it, well, God brought this in my life. Oh, well, that person did this and that's why I acted this way. James says, no, understand the true nature of temptation. It's, it's not uh, from around you, the people around you or the God above you. It's from the, de- the sinful desires within you. That you have these desires within you that you want to be known or you want to uh, have something. And, and because of those desires, uh, when temptation comes about through those desires, if you act on them, it leads down to sin. And so then he talks about understanding, excuse me, the true nature of sin. That, that ultimately leads to destruction, to death. He gave us two analogies. The first one was of, of uh, bait, he says it entices you. It's, it's like a, a lure that comes in for the fish that it looks good, but if you bite it, it's going to end up in where you're dead. So the idea is that sin is enticing you, but you bite onto it, it's going to lead to death. Then the second analogy he gives is that of a stillborn baby. That, that uh, it, it promises life, the, the promise of pregnancy that would be, bring life, but then ultimately, leave, uh, ultimately to devastation in your life as you give birth to something that is dead. How devastating that is. And, and, and something that anyone who, in here who has experienced understands is a very emotional toll. James is, is giving us a very strong analogy there to say this. Sin promises life. You, you think you're going to end up with life at the end of the tunnel, but when all of it has come and it gives birth to something, it gives birth to ultimately destruction and death and devastation in your life. So uh, be on guard against that. And then uh, James goes on to tell us that uh, as we have these temptations come in our life and as we fight against sin, that we need to look to God for his good and perfect gifts. And one of the best gifts that he has given to us is his word. So he tells us we should be quick to listen to it, quick to hear what God has to say on any matter, and then not only listen to it and put away our sin, but then to apply it to our lives, to be doers of the word. Uh, If there's only doing, uh, uh, well, then he says this, he says, uh, but don't only do, 
right? He says, hear the word and then do what the word says. But then right after that, he says, but don't only do what the word says, just to do it, because that can lead into a proud religion. That can lead to pride. That's immature Christians where they do, 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 do all of these things. And then they say, well, look at me. And, and they get recognition. He says, don't, no, no, no. There should be obedient faith, but it should be obedient faith with the right motive. That's what mature Christians do. They, they live out a pure religion that is uh, done to to be an honor to God, not to be honored by other people. They honor God in the way that they live out their Christianity. And so we need to make sure that we're obedient to the word of God, yes, but we need to be evaluating our motives. Are we doing it to be seen of others or to be seen of God? Are we doing it in order that we might be, that we might be lifted up or are we doing it to help those in need? So chapter one, James says this, be patient in trials. And all that that entails, be patient and endure. Seek God's wisdom. Be on guard against temptation by hearing the word of God and doing what it says with a pure heart. And then chapter two, we see James dive further into that authenticity when he brings up pure religion. He goes even further in chapter number two when he tells us to be authentic in faith. Mature believers are not only uh, patient in trials, they are authentic in their faith. Those who are real, authentic, they will not show partiality towards some people and then reject others. They won't judge people based upon how they look or where they're from or what they wear to church or how much money they have or how much power they have in the community or how much they can help us get ahead. He says that's immature Christians. That's immature Christianity to look for who can, uh, get, who can give you the biggest gain or who looks the best. Uh, mature Christians don't have that partiality and they don't play those politics in church. They don't judge people based on those things. We love every single person and we serve them as a result. Authentic Christians aren't interested in all of the politics stuff in the church. They serve each other and they do so not in a hypocritical way. We see him say, they don't say one thing. There's the portion of scripture there in chapter two where he says, uh, someone says to their brother, be warmed and filled. Uh, they look hungry, they look cold. Be warmed and filled, I pray for you, brother. But then do nothing to help them. He says, no, you don't, we don't play the politic game. We serve each other and we, we don't just say we serve each other, we actually serve each other. We, we aren't hypocritical and, well, we love each other, but then we never actually act upon that love in each other's life. So our, our heart motive, our profession of faith and our actions match up if we are authentic. And James really hits hard that idea when he goes into talking about how if there are no works that have been produced by your faith, then it's probably dead. Authentic faith will produce works in your life. And we talked about the two extremes that people take with that, that some people say faith plus works equals salvation. They take verses like this and say, James said works have to be a part of salvation. That's not what he's saying. Uh, but some people take it to that extreme to say faith plus works equals salvation. Some people, in order to stay away from that type of heresy, uh, they, they go to the opposite end and they say faith with zero works equals salvation. And to an extent, if you define it right, that could be true. But if you're just saying that someone has a profession of faith and there's never a change in their life ever again in their life and they just got that get out of hell free card, then they're good to go. James says, no, that's not how this works either. The, the, the true equation is this. True salvation will equal faith that works. Faith will work itself out. So the idea is you're saved by faith alone, but that your faith will never stand alone. It will produce works. Works are what back up 
your profession of faith. As he said, examples we have of Abraham and Rahab. How do we know that they truly believed what they said they believed? They acted upon that belief. And so we know that our works back up our profession of faith. And that doesn't mean we're perfect when we get saved, but if you cannot trace any spiritual growth in your life since the day you got saved, then you should honestly evaluate whether that faith is authentic. Because authentic faith in Christ will produce works, is what James says. So mature Christians are patient in trials. They're authentic in faith. And then chapter 3 tells us that they are intentional in their words. Uh, In in this chapter, in chapter number 3, we see James uh, start out by saying, not everyone should be teachers and preachers in the church. Not everyone should be teachers and preachers of the word in the church because those who hold that position in the church will be held to a higher standard for the words that they say. Why? Because words are powerful, James tells us. And if someone doesn't fully understand that, they shouldn't be rushing into wanting to be a teacher of God's word in the church. Uh, To further make that point, James says that in many things we offend all. There. What's he saying when he says that? Every single one of us slip up in our words sometimes, right? Everyone. So how much more so when someone is handling the word of God, should they be intentional about what they say? Funny enough, when we went over that portion of scripture, I don't know if anyone caught it, but I, as I was speaking, I slipped up uh, that I went to go quote Jesus, I went to go quote scripture, and I ended up uh, quoting Spider-Man. <laughs> I, I went to go say uh, what something Jesus had said, but instead of saying, uh, to whom much is given, much will be required, what came out of my mouth was, with great power comes great responsibility, right? So uh, it, not even meaning to, as I was speaking about, we all slip up in words, I end up slipping up in words. But James says all of that specifically to tell us this, hey, the reason that uh, not everyone should be a teacher is because it takes intention with what you say and what you do. You need to make sure that you're not leading people astray. And James goes on to say that if you find a teacher that never stumbles with his words, that never says anything incorrect, that, that's never accidentally misleading, or they uh, have never, uh, you've, you've found someone who has never messed up ever in the way that they speak, then you found someone who is perfectly in control of their entire life. That's what he says. He says, if you find someone who, is, who never, ever slips up in his words, then you found someone who is in control of his entire life. And then he warns us uh, that though the tongue is such a small body part, it's powerful, it's destructive, and it's untamable. But ultimately, he tells us that the tongue is very revealing of what is actually on the inside of someone. So the analogies that he gives it, are, are not so much telling us to watch our words, though we should, He's saying, first of all, check your heart, because out of the heart, uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So knowing that, you need to understand the analogies he gives of fresh water, uh, a spring giving, sorry, a spring giving fresh water and bitter water, that that doesn't happen unless there's something bitter at the source of the spring. So what he's saying is, if there's words coming out that are one day blessing God and the next day cursing people, something's wrong at the source, at the heart. So be intentional with your words, yes, but don't just try to uh, do it with your own self-control of, I'm, not, I'm just not going to say those things in front of anyone. No, no, no. Get the heart right first, and then watch out of the abundance of your pure heart, pure words come as a result. And 
Then James transitions into the words of false wisdom and the words of true wisdom and how we differentiate the two. And ultimately, it came down to this. You need to look at the fruit. If, if the wisdom that someone is giving to you, even from behind a pulpit, if, if the wisdom that someone is giving to you, you look at the fruit of how their lives are as a result of following that wisdom, and you see in their life disunity, you see in their life disorderliness, you see instability, you see warrings and fightings. If the wisdom ultimately is divisive, then it's false wisdom. He says true wisdom is going to bring about righteousness in people's lives and true wisdom is going to bring about peace in people's lives. So if we in our homes and in our workplaces are consistently seeing a a butting of heads against people and disunity and instability, there's an indicator there that we're following some kind of lie of the false wisdom of Satan rather than the truth of God's word. Because if we're following the truth of God's word, then it's going to bring about in every environment in which it resides righteousness and peace. So differentiating the, the words of the false wisdom and the words of uh, true wisdom. And on the flip side, uh, there, uh, then uh, James tells us that we need to diagnose what kind of uh, wisdom we're listening to, or even more specifically, the wisdom that we're applying to our lives, and look at the fruit of it. Is there peace and righteousness there? So what he's talking about is, uh, again, immature Christianity and mature Christianity. Mature Christians take the wisdom of the word of God and then as a result see righteousness and peace in their life. They see that growth taking place. So mature Christians are intentional in words, both the words that they speak and the words that they listen to and apply to their lives. And then we see in chapter four that mature Christians are humble in their spirit. Mature Christians are humble in their spirit. James brings up that there's bickering and fightings between others in this church and all around there's just an ineffective and disorderly life both personally and corporately in the church here to, uh, amongst his readers. He's saying, you guys are acting like a bunch of children. Once again, he's pointing to their immaturity in the faith. He's saying you guys are constantly at each other's throat and bickering and using each other. And if we allow pride into our lives, then we will find ourselves fighting with others and we'll desire to have more than we need and we'll hurt others in the process to get what we want. And then yet at the end of it, James said, we'll still end up empty-handed because uh, we've uh, even prayed selfishly for God to give us things that we want so that we can use it for our own personal gain. But then once it's used, it's gone and it's empty. There's nothing there. Our, I, our, our life, ultimately, if we allow pride into our life, will become a war zone between us and God and between us and other people. So what's the combat to that? A, hum, a humble spirit, a spirit of humility in our lives. We, we said it this way, don't allow your life and your uh, and your. Uh, and your church and your home and all that to become a war zone de- declare this is going to be a worship zone where I humble myself before God and before other people that I'm humble in spirit worshiping the Lord and drawing near to God I humble myself getting right with God both in my heart and in my actions as he said that we cleanse both our hands and we purify our hearts that I make sure I'm right with God in my heart I make sure I'm right with God in my uh, actions I make sure that I'm right with people in my heart and I make sure that I'm right with people in my actions and that takes a humble spirit 
He says, take your sin seriously and seek a true change in your life. And one of the greatest ways to make sure that this humble spirit takes place in your life is just to constantly be drawing near to God. As you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. We took a whole message to talk about there's ways that we both, we each uniquely draw close to the Lord in the way that we're created. And then there's some universal ways that we draw near to the Lord through his word and through prayer and through uh, uh, coming together with the congregation of saints and in worshiping him through song. So there are ways that we do it uniquely and then ways that we do it universally. universally. And what does all of that uh, take place in our, how does all that take place in our life? What happens when we do that in our lives? Then it brings about a humble spirit in the way that we, uh, in the way that we interact with God and the way that we interact with each other. And then James, he goes on to say this, that those who uh, are mature Christians who have that humble spirit in them are not presumptuous in their planning. They don't assume I have all the time in the world to do whatever I want. They, they redeem the time that they have now and they don't plan selfishly. Those verses where he talks about uh, life is but a vapor that a, appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Those verses here, there, what he's saying is this, if we're humble in spirit, we're not just gonna plan our life selfishly and presumptuously, we're going to make God a part of our planning. We're gonna understand life is short and I need to redeem the time that I have and so I'm going to make sure that everything I do, God's a part of the planning. I consult God's word about every decision I make. I, I pray about every decision that I make. I make sure that I seek godly counsel for every decision I make. Why? Because I want God to be a part of the planning process. True faith and authentic faith is going to not be so presumptuous in the way that we plan our lives but rather it's going to be humble seeking the Lord's will in and way in the way that we plan and then uh, he ends that whole chapter by saying this that those people that are humble in spirit they learn what to do uh, and what is right in those situations and then they do it he says anyone who learns what god wants them to do and how to plan their lives and then they don't do it that's sin that if we omit things that we know we're supposed to do in our lives that ultimately that is sin, and that is immature Christianity. Mature Christianity says, whatever God says, I do it, I obey it. And so then we saw in the last chapter that James tells us this, mature Christians are ready for the Lord, ready for the Lord's return. Uh, James starts uh, talking about the coming of Jesus Christ, the day where the Lord will come back, and he tells us a few things. He tells us that the, the truth that Jesus is coming back should, uh, should drive us to live lives of purity. So we should deal honestly with other people. These people that we're not dealing honestly with other people, uh, James is saying, hey, your day is coming. The Lord is coming. Get right. Okay? Uh, live pure lives. But then those who were being mistreated and being used and we're not being dealt honestly with. He says, don't, not, not just live pure, but uh, live a life of security. Be secure in the fact that Jesus is coming and those who have wronged you and those who have mistreated you, their day of judgment is coming. So let the Lord defend you. Give it to God and let the Lord defend you. I'm going to let God be my defense and then I'm going to keep doing the working that I know to do until he comes. We don't grumble and complain about our life circumstances or about our lot in life, James says. He, he points again to immature Christianity. 
He says, those who are constantly complaining and, and grumbling about their lot in life and the mistreatment and the trials and all that, that's an immature Christian. Mature Christians give it to the Lord and keep moving forward for the Lord. And he, he gave us some great uh, examples of how we should view our story of mistreatments and trials just as we view the tr trials and mistreatments of those before us, the prophets, and of Job, and of Jesus. We look back at their stories and we say, that was a good thing that they went through all of that. And we look at those stories with joy. And the reason why is we know the end of the story. And James says, so too do we know the end of our story. Jesus Christ is coming again and we have a day where he will redeem our bodies and he will redeem us completely and when that takes place, it will be a wonderful day. So look to that day uh, in order to help you live a life of purity and live a life of security. We know the end of the story and so make sure that you uh, treat your story just as you do the stories of those before you, looking to the end. So as mistreatment comes and as hard times come, he says, then we respond with prayer. If we're looking forward to God and we're going to give God uh, everything and let him be our defense and let him take care of things, then the way we're going to respond to everything is prayer. He says, whether you're sick, whether you're happy, whether you're sad, whether you're burdened, whatever the case, whatever the situation, handle that situation with prayer. Respond with prayer. He says, pray always and for everything. Handle every situation, whether good, bad, or ugly, with prayer. Be honest about your struggles and your sicknesses, he says, so that others in the church might be able to lift you up in prayer. So not just you take things to the Lord in prayer, but allow your church family to take those things to the Lord in prayer on your behalf as well. Be honest about those struggles and sicknesses so that others in church might be able to lift you up in prayer. Why? Because we should all be in the business of helping one another. And that includes those who have erred from the truth is the finishing thought that James gives us is that even those who are erring from the truth, we are in the business of recovering those people. So those who are among us right now, we, we actively pray and we actively help those people and then the, as people wander from the truth, we actively go and get them and bring them back into the fold as best we can because we know that the Lord would have us to do that. We, and so we need to be honest about our struggles and allow our questions, our faults, our, our struggles and our sicknesses be known so that we might pray for each other and pray with each other and that we might restore each other. Be the very instruments that God uses in each other's life to restore us into a right relationship with him. And when we do this, Paul says we are fulfilling the law of Christ. James brings that up a couple of times in his uh, letter as well. We saw that when we do these things, we fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Loving God and loving people. What, what is James saying? Mature Christians live this way so that they might honor and praise the Lord with their lives and so that they might equip and help other people in their lives. So mature Christians, they're patient in trials, they're authentic in faith, they're intentional in words, they're humble in spirit, and they're ready for the Lord's return. Now, just a few applications for us as we close out the full study, all right? That's a little bit of our review. Here's, here's our application of what we take from the study in the book of James, all right? The first thing I want us to see is this, that spiritual growth is expected. Spiritual growth is expected. 
you, you uh, look at like a, a baby, right? Our, our boys right now, the twins. Uh, it, it's just natural that growth takes place. It's, it's expected in physical life that if you feed them and you, uh, and you uh, change their diapers and you burp them and things like that, a natural process begins to take place that they begin to grow. The same is it is spiritually. There, there's an expectation that at once someone gets saved, they're a, a baby in the faith or a newborn in the faith, as some people call them. Peter seems to reference to them as that way, that they take the nourishment of God's word and they're around the people of God and this natural progression starts to take place of growth and maturity. So the first thing we learn from this book is this, spiritual growth is expected in our lives. Growth should happen. Discipleship should be a normal part of our life. Sanctification should consistently be taking place in our life from the moment of salvation till the day that we die. Another thing that we see from the book of James here as an application is that spiritual maturity is not, uh, it, it has nothing to do with age. Uh, we, we'd often like to think, well, the older someone is, the, the more mature in the faith they are. Oftentimes that's the case, but not necessarily. There, uh, I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said uh, that in some churches there are 70-year-old babies, is what he said. 70-year-old babies in the church, and then he uh, alludes to uh, young people, 20s and 30s, I think are the age that he said in his quote, uh, that are uh, even more mature in the faith, that they're the adults of the faith, while some churches have people in their uh, later stages who are babies in the faith. And, and what he was trying to say and what James is trying to say is this, that just because you're older doesn't naturally mean you're more mature in the faith. But just because you're younger doesn't mean, well, I'll never get to a, a certain point. You can constantly be growing as well. So spiritual maturity uh, doesn't have anything really to do with our age as much as it has to do with who is submitting to the process by which we grow and mature. See, the things that we've learned in the book of James, that trials bring about spiritual maturity in our life, that an, a healthy intake of the word of God brings about spiritual maturity in our life, that a right perspective and mindset toward the things that take place in our lives and toward other people will bring about spiritual maturity in our lives. There can be someone who is saved for 30 years, but they're never intaking the word of God. They're not allowing their trials to grow them. They're constantly trying to get out of their trials. And then you have a younger person that comes to those things and they say, how's God gonna work in this? How, how can I get more of the word of God in our lives? So it's less about how we physically age to become spiritually mature, and it's more so how are we going to submit to the processes by which God brings spiritual maturity into our life. So uh, spiritual growth is expected, and spiritual maturity doesn't really have much to do with age as much as it has to do with our submission to the process. And then the third thing we learn is this. Uh, it is a process, not a performance. Spiritual maturity is a process, not a maturity. It takes time. It's not just a light switch that you turn on where you say, yesterday I got saved, got the Holy Spirit, now I'm completely and wholly sanctified. No, I, it's a great thought. It's just not quite how it works. You're completely and wholly justified when you receive the Holy Spirit and get saved, but the work of sanctification is a lifelong process. That's going to consistently take place in our lives as we submit to the process by which God brings out that spiritual maturity. Uh, and, and here's the truth. Even the day that we die, the day that we die uh, will we'll 
physically and on this earth be done with the sanctification process in the sense of now we're with the Lord, okay? But, uh, but the truth is this, even at the point that you die, if you wouldn't have died, you could have still grown more. That's how much growth can consistently take place in our life. We'll never fully attain sinless perfection until the Lord redeems every single part of us at the last day that we look forward to. Uh, but uh, this, this spiritual maturity in our lives is a process, and it's not something that we put on or that we perform or that we can maneuver and, and manufacture in our lives. It's something that we allow the work of God to do in and then through us as we submit to the process of sanctification. So it's a process, not a performance. Then the last application is this. You can grow however much you want. You can grow as much as you want. Uh, it, it's not like there's just a favored few that will get to a certain part of spiritual maturity. It, it's not that, uh, that, it, j- that only certain people can get to a certain level and other people can only get to another level. Your growth, it, the truth is this, your growth is directly proportional to your desire to grow. If a person wants to grow strong uh, physically, you'd probably say something like this, well, you gotta have the right diet and exercise, Right? I might have a fancy title on it, you know, that, uh, that there's so many programs out there for types of things, but really it comes down to this, food intake and then exercise. That's really what it comes down to, to get strong, right? So the same is spiritually. The same is spiritually. If we want to grow in our faith and grow in our spiritual maturity, we have to have the right intake, we consistently bringing in the word of God, have the right diet. What are we eating? What are we feeding on? What are we reading? What are we meditating upon in our lives? What are we memorizing? What are we listening to? This right spiritual intake and then exercise. Are you, are you praying? Are you sharing your faith? Are you discipling others? Are you obeying the scriptures? Really it comes down to those two things. What you intake and then how you apply and exercise those things in your life. So you can grow as much as you want. Uh, it, your, your amount of growth that will take place in your life is proportional to how much you desire to uh, work the process and submit to the process. You know, if I were to summarize the book of James by using James' own, own words, I would, uh, I would use uh, verse uh, 21 and 22 in chapter number one. I think it's right there on the front of your handout. But the verses say this. It says, Wherefore, Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word. What is James saying? Get rid of the immature self, in essence. Get rid of the immature self. I mean, just the way that says that, superfluity of naughtiness, just sounds immature, right? I mean, it's just get, get rid of the immaturity and then receive what God has said, which is able to save your souls, that engrafted word, and then be doers of the word not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Make sure that you have, like I just said, the right spiritual intake and the right spiritual practice, the right spiritual exercise. <clears throat> There's, uh, just close with this story, there's this uh, tombstone in the Alps in Europe where uh, it, on the tombstone, it's a tombstone to this guide who died while trying to rescue a tourist. He was trying to rescue a hiker. Uh, he had constantly guided people up and down uh, these trails and th- these mountains. And uh, as uh, what, what's there on the tombstone, this is what I love, the epitaph that's on the tombstone says this. 
has his name, which I can't pronounce. <laughs> and, then it, uh, and then it says this, he died climbing. He died climbing. He, he died doing what he loved, yes, but he died making progress, going higher. And what I love about that is the book of James, our study really shows us this, that we should, to the best of our ability, end our race having done so climbing, making progress in our lives. The book of James is really written as a tribute to those who are climbing, who are going higher in their faith, who are maturing. And James says, no matter where you're at, keep going higher, keep growing up. And so uh, whether it's my college roommate, right, or my brother Josiah, or James, the brother of Jesus, the message is this this morning, grow up. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.